email them. Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. I really, really am. This is a selfish excitement, though. I got to tell you, it's going to be good for you guys, though, too. But I'm going to really soak it in for myself because this gentleman right here is a gangster in the space when it comes down to rental properties doing short-term rentals. Not just arbitrage, but also owning his own properties. He's done some burr strategies on a couple of them. And with only you know a handful of the two handfuls, I guess, of properties under his belt, he's been able to produce five hundred thousand plus net profits per year to be able to really make a dent in his finances, of course, which is always good for him and his family. But also, I'm a firm believer that once you get the education yourself and you're really succeeding, the analogy of put on your mask first when the airplane starts going down and then start helping out you know, your kids or the people next to you. This guy did exactly the same thing. And he started really making an impact in a huge way with a big community now helping out ridiculous amount of people, did over a million dollars in his first year, putting out his short-term rental course online video course and is projected to do like five to eight X that this year. So it's really exciting the impact that that makes, right? It's always good. And it feels very well making an impact in your home, right? Makes the wife feel good, makes the family feel good, your father-in-law and mother-in-law and like the whole, everybody like feels good about that. However, there's something special when you can actually make a big indent in thousands of people and then their families and their families, right? That's some special stuff right there. So I'm excited to have Michael on today. What's going on, Michael? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, not too much. Um, just been living life to the fullest lately. Got a five-month-old daughter, her say, first yeah. kid. And uh, yeah, I guess that's the beauty of real estate and entrepreneurship. But being able to be home every day with my wife and my daughter is just is amazing. It's a blessing. So yeah, being like you said, being able to help other people now, it's like my primary focus in addition to continuing my growing my portfolio of investments, but just helping other people do the same thing and helping them attain financial freedom and, and spend time doing what matters most to them. That's what that's what I love, love about it. I love it, man. For anybody out there that doesn't know more of your story, where you're from, what you're up to, what you're doing, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just to give you a little background, I grew up in North Carolina, was an athlete, played baseball through college. Um, got a business degree, didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I was actually hoping to play professionally baseball. That didn't pan out. So at that point in time, I just actually had a, a red shirt option to go back. I, I was insured one year and I couldn't get a job after having a finance degree from Elon University. And I was looking like part-time internships and other stuff. And I ended up working at Dunkin' Donuts. It was the only group that would hire me. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna go back for a fifth year. Went back for that year, got an entry-level sales job, making 35,000 a year, cold calling hundred people a day. No idea what I was selling. I very quickly found out what the rat race was surrounded by a bunch of like hungry people, like great people, family oriented, but they were just grinding every day to move up in the corporate world, make that extra dollar and then get the new quota the next year, then rinse and repeat. And Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this is a crazy cycle. So very quickly hated to work for someone else. And that's when 
I got my first taste of that and decided uh, I was like, I need to figure out something else. Like what is passive income? I heard people talk about that. Started diving into podcasts, YouTube's books. In the meantime, I did focus on my income, right? 35K a year. I learned also quickly, you're not going to save your way to financial freedom or wealth. So I had to yes. boost my income. I side hustled, worked at a winery on the weekends. I uh, got to an inside sales role, another inside sales role, outside sales, increased my income, didn't you know, increase my expenses very much. So I was able to save up and invest in my first property. So that first job was in 2016. My wife and I got our first short-term rental in Nashville, Tennessee, when we were 26, 27 years old at the end of 2019. And then after we got that first property, I saw like by the third month, we were scheduled to cash flow net, right? After all expenses and mortgage, like seven grand on one place. I was like, Let's this go. is freaking crazy. Yeah. Granted, that was March of 2020. And then COVID hit the US and we had like 40 grand in cancellations in seven days. And sure. Airbnb just gave everyone their money back and kind of overrode our policies. I won't go into depth on how much that bugged me, but yeah. it happened. And, but it didn't deter me though. I was like, more optimistic about the whole COVID situation than a lot of people were. So I was all in, liquidated my retirement account. My wife did the same to get our second one that April of 2020. Those two properties stood up. And then fast forward to the, towards the end of the year, we got our third. And in the 11th month, or maybe it was the 12th month, we cash flowed like 15 grand. And again, that was when travel was still kind of limited. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like we're financially free in a year. This is insane. My goal was 10 years. Yeah. So that's why I was like, at that point in time, I was all in on short-term rentals. I kind of figured out a good methodology, how to run the numbers, how to differentiate, how to do your research to make sure you're in a good location. Like what's the longevity of the investment? And to this point in time, we just closed in our seventh. We arbitraged one, so to make it eight. Last year with six, we did right around 900K revenue. Cash flow like three hundred sixty some thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. This year we'll do way over a million in revenue and probably cash flow five six hundred k. Just depends. But um, been a wild ride, yeah. And then over over that course of time, quit our jobs after becoming financially free, traveled in a camper van for a year, and just like really lived in the moment for the first time, really yeah. ever. Because my whole life it was baseball, sports, school, work. That was the first time that you can unplug and just like live every day, just kind of like being in the moment. Yeah. And that feeling I want everyone to experience like, is so wild. But yeah, ever since then, we just have never looked back and have been pedaled to the metal. I love it. And, and that was just you and your wife being able to you know, bond together and travel the United States and just have fun, right? That's right. That was before we had our daughter. So that was kind of our goal is to travel. Yep. She, we traveled internationally a little bit prior to. My wife is very well traveled and she did a lot of study abroad in college. She's been to like 26 countries. Um, nice. Got, gave me the travel bug, but I always wanted to see the rest of the US. I'd never yeah. been really out west a ton. So, you know, we hit like 20 plus national parks, spent yep. six months really off grid. I had the full camper van set up, hiked over 400 miles. So it, it was pretty wild. It was fun. I love it. So, talk to me when it comes down to being able to truly unplug and, and be able to set yourself up for success. Obviously, there's tools or systems in place to be able to do that. Were you guys managing the Airbnbs yourself? Or what did you guys really set up in place for you guys to be able to totally unplug and be able to travel with your honey and be able to do whatever you want, right? Yeah, well, this day and age, it's great. Because like 10 years ago, you probably couldn't do this. I mean, really, before Airbnb, and really not just so the listing or OTAs like Airbnb, Airbnb, Verbo, but the, uh, the technology that has completely changed the industry is wild. So sure. we could manage a property from our cell phone. We have smart yep. tech, calendar sync with our cleaners, handyman. We could put in like uh, work orders, automated messaging to the guests, like everything. All, you know, maybe like 10% of the day-to-day work still falls on our plate. But I mean, a single property we were managing in 30 to 60 minutes a week. 
on mm-hmm. average per property. So we we're able to do that in the van. And that was still self-managing. We weren't paying 20 to 30% management fees. Now today I co-founded a home team vacation rental. So we manage close to hundred properties now across the country, me and my business partner and our team. Now my team manages most of the work. I still do a lot of pricing for my own property, but they manage most of the day-to-day at this point. And now it's you know really more truly passive. Airbnb can, and short-term rentals can be a very active stream of income if you don't mm-hmm. leverage tech. And after you get to a certain amount of properties, you're probably going to want to bring in an assistant or a VA or, or outsource to a PM. Um, for sure. But until you get to that point, it doesn't make sense to. Honestly, you'll save so much more money. Yeah, I totally agree. When it comes down to the pricing, you mentioned that's that's something that you handle. What what do you mean in regards to pricing? Yeah, so dynamic pricing. If you, yes. make, if you guys are launching even your first property, use dynamic pricing. Don't Please. use Airbnb Smart Pricing. Use Price Lab. Please. Use Wheelhouse. It's pretty w- wicked. Then they use data in the space, machine learning to basically predict where you need to be priced at in terms of your competition, size of property demand for certain days? Like, is there a concert one day that maybe you don't know about? Why is there demand happening? So they can pull that data and tweak your pricing for you within a set of customizations that you put in on the forefront. So you can let them control as much or as little as you want them to, but that really helps you capture more bookings. And I'll tell you, and like, especially for midweek days in like urban areas where like Nashville, right? On the weekends, most people get booked nine months out of the year, like slammed. Sure, but where most people they get excited about that, they walk right past twenty thousand extra dollars because they don't know how to price midweek. Yeah, it's not just about pricing higher; it's actually about pricing lower for low demand days to scoop up that extra demand. That's good. So dynamic pricing—it's a tool that they can pay for that will be able to integrate with their short-term rentals to really set you up for success. Once we started using it for our short-term rentals, it was a game changer, and I don't know why I slept on it for so long. I heard I did about too. it so many times. I didn't yeah. use it till we got our third property. I'm like, what right? am I doing? I spent hours a week tweaking pricing. Granted, yes. I did what I had to do to get the bookings, but I was like, I'm sure. an idiot. I was in such a cost savings mindset early on. I was like, yeah. I'm not paying 20 bucks a month for yeah. <laughs> software. I'm an idiot. I'll yeah. pay way 10x that price to use those tools every day. Well, you know? well, once you realize how much it makes you and how much you're losing out for not paying that, it's like, if it makes, if it makes you money, is it a cost or is it an investment? It's right. an investment because you're making a, an ROI on it. If it costs mm-hmm. $10,000, but you're making $11,000, you are still making money off of it. So, you know, um, so I think that's a, a big mindset shift of, of identifying that down the road. And we don't all start off that way, unfortunately. We normally have to change that, that broken right. mindset over time. Talk to me about more tools that you guys are utilizing to really set yourself up for success. And I, I would like to hear more about the roles that you've outsourced, you know, as you guys have grown? Yeah. Day one, outsource cleaning. Yeah. Even if it's like you live Please. in a duplex and you manage the one next door, just outsource it. Yeah. That maintenance. But honestly, the biggest thing recently was outsourcing the design and setup. You know, early on, we cut our teeth with designing ourselves. It's not our strong suit. It's hard, but it is critical. I mean, short-term rentals are, and vacation rentals are very competitive landscape, ever so more competitive now with social media. Everyone wants to do Airbnb. If you set up a basic Airbnb or Verbo, whatever it is, it's going to be tough to compete and you're going to compete on price. Ultimately, long-term, like any industry, think like apples, the apples of the world, right? You compete on value and you never compete on price. And if you are the one that everyone wants, it doesn't matter what your price at mm. to a certain extent. So you kind of find that sweet spot. So for us, design, I actually am a co-founder in Summerlet Designs. Those girls are amazing. One of them, her and her husband took my course early on. They're my first ever full coaching client. They've scaled to six figures a month 
and yeah. short-term rentals. And a lot of that has to do with the design aspect that they were experts on. Make so it now stand they, out, now they right? do that. Exactly. Stand out. They do the research though, like on AirDNA, those types of tools. What do the top properties have in common? Where are they located? What amenities do they provide? What color schemes? Like what do they have? And then what can we add on top of that to be amongst them, but also differentiate and have people pick us versus them? That's so good. you're setting yourself up for long-term success. That's like the biggest thing. And then as far as like software tool, I mean, outsource your cleaners, maintenance, software tools, you want a property management software of some sort. So you can leverage multiple platforms, not just Airbnb or just Vervo. And that'll like cross-pollinate your calendars. So you don't have to worry about getting double booked. And it'll keep all your messaging from one place and automate that as well. What do you guys use for, for keeping track of that? We used Guesty for hosts. It used to yep. be your porter. And then we transitioned to Guesty for pros for our management company. And we're transitioning to actually using Track or Atlas track PMS, I think is what their actual PMS is called. And the reason we're switching to them is they have a little bit more of a robust system for direct marketing is built into the platform, which is great. So as we're building our direct booking site out for us and our clients, we want to make sure that we have that super dialed in. So we're making that switch now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you bring up something right here, you know, direct booking site, you want a lot of Airbnb hosts that we speak to, they really want to focus on getting it off of that platform to having their own website and having direct bookings on there. Talk to me about that. Is there any concerns that you have? Or uh, like for me personally, we live in a very tenant friendly state of California. And, you know, <laughs> if somebody stays 30 days, like they get rights and they get rights that if they know how to use and abuse, you know, they could be there for the next six to 12 months, taking advantage of it and yeah. playing the system. So what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, well, I'm trying to get off Airbnb as much as possible. But at the same sure. time, not right. Airbnbs definitely head and shoulders above their competition as far as user interface guest experience, like using the tool. It's so easy now just to go on and you could, it's like booking an Uber, right? I mean, you could yeah. just find a property in two seconds. It kind of, it's like a Google search. It puts in front of you, like what they think you're going to want to book. Yep. The problem I have with Airbnb is like, it almost doesn't even matter what your cancellation policy is anymore. Or this and the other, like you have almost zero control. There's guests absolutely taking advantage of the system. They'll show up even if they fake it. If there's something not absolutely perfect with the reservation, chances they can get a full refund from Airbnb are kind of high right mm. now. And it's, not good. There's a lot of people fed up with it. But you know, you want more control. That's why typically people go for direct booking and you could be more profitable. I mean, Airbnb charges guests like 12% host three. So it's 15%. You could charge, make 10% more and give a guest 5% less out of their pocket. And it's a win-win. The hard part is where does everyone go when they need to search? They want the easy button. They'll go to Airbnb or Verbo because they know they're going to have all the different properties right in front of them, for which sure. is why everyone went off direct booking to those platforms. So it's really difficult. I really don't advise direct booking until you scale to multiple properties or you have maybe a unique stay or maybe a bunch of tiny homes in one community or something like that. So where yeah. you can have like, this is the community, you have multiple things to offer. If it's one property, it's a long-term game. It's even more properties because you need to email market people, right? Like email them, hey, or book direct next time you come. You have repeat customers. Yeah. If it's like a city where it's just in and out, you probably rarely have a repeat customer. Chances you grow a direct booking not going to be worth your time or effort, in my opinion. I would just roll with the punches of the Airbnb. But longer term, especially if you have more properties, more control over the reservation, more profitable, that's when you're going to kind of want to pivot 
pivot to that strategy as part of the strategy. It doesn't have to be solely direct booking, but yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like that. We've had several guests that over the years that love us so much, love the experience, love us going above and beyond and the hospitality and so forth. They are very eager to like, they got family members in town that they come on a regular basis and they're like, Hey, is there any way that we could just book with you directly next time? We love this place. We love working with you guys. And so those situations can be very beneficial in, in the long run. When it comes down to you know, capturing their information, are you using any tools to be able to capture like email, phone number, and so forth? Yeah, there's a couple of different ones out there. We're leaning toward doing something like Stayfy, where it's mm -hmm. a more or less a router that you plug in. So it's basically like a gateway, just like you would go to in a hotel or a Starbucks or something. And if you want to access the free Wi-Fi, every single guest has to put in their email and who's they not going to get your data. That's right. So then, it. you know, you have like a little opt-in, you follow whatever laws you have to do for that, but yep. then you have their email. And if you have a big property that's six, 10, 15 people, you have 10 to 15 emails every stay or every week. So yeah. that quickly racks up into the thousands. If now think if you have a hundred properties under manager, that's why it's powerful for a management company because then you could market direct to tens of thousands of people. That's good. The other way you could do is like hostfully digital guidebooks, which I also use. You can have them have to enter in their email or contact info to access the guidebook, which has the check-in instructions and all that in it, how to get in the house. The only problem with that is you may not get every guest. You know, if they distribute the guidebook to all the people in their group, which some people will, then yeah, you might get all their emails, but maybe not. There's a couple of other ways you can collect emails, but th those are probably the two ones that I would suggest focusing on. That's good. I never actually thought about that. So basically have a folder, either a Google Drive or something that they have to fill out a form first to be able to give their info so that we can capture it. Yeah. Then, well, Stayfy like does it for form. you. Stayfy yeah. does it for you. And then Hostfully does it for you too. So yeah. it basically you just export their emails. I don't know where it's actually they keep it, but mm -hmm. the, you can collect it uh, right then and there. And then you could just import it into whatever you want to use MailChimp, ActiveCampaign, if you're doing some type of email marketing. Sure. Love it. Talk to me about cleaners for a second. This is a big problem that a lot of people run into and finding you know quality systems in place to be able to double check the cleaners and, and hold a certain accountability level, right? And so people aren't cutting corners and because... It, it all goes downhill here. If the cleaning isn't good, somebody shows up and they're, it's filthy or something, they start finding things, they're going to nitpick. It can be, yeah. really be a pain. So what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. Finding good cleaners is definitely challenging. But when you do find them, like, don't be picky on price. Like, Just pay them. I honestly, we try and overpay cleaners, tip them if they do a great job, a lot of five-star reviews. Don't hold on to cleaners if there's like you give them like a two or three strike system. If it's consistent, guests are complaining and it's an actual issue, then just move on because nothing will be more detrimental to your listing and your your uh, refunds or mm. um, unreasonable refunds that Airbnb just pulls from your account if it's not if it's not cleanly. I've even had guests get on their hands and knees and look under TV stands before and say there's yes. dust under here. Like this is disgusting. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of like really, you know, I get it. It's maybe that wasn't perfect that one time, but you're really getting picky here. I've had somebody send a picture of a piece of dust next to the broom we leave out for guests. And it's like, oh, the whole house is filthy all of a sudden, you know? So that it's unfortunate that some people go to that extreme as a guest. It, for me, it wouldn't bother me if it's like a little dusty here. Like, okay, whatever. It's kind of, it's a house. But yeah, you definitely need to hold your cleaners accountable. Scheduling is the biggest thing. So use Turno. It used to be called Turnover B&B or Resort Cleaning. There's a couple sure. other ones out there. Those are the, probably the two biggest ones in the US at least. 
it'll integrate with your property management software or directly with Airbnb or Vervo, any other OTA, and it will uh, sync your listings. Anytime you get a cancellation, it'll notify the cleaner. So they know when to show up and when the next guest checks in. Those are the two biggest things because you don't want to have to like constantly be texting or screenshotting your calendar, communicating with your cleaners because that's exhausting. So you have yeah. to have a good system in place. And as long as they're willing to adopt tech, then they're good to go. And then re- reward them. You know, if they do an amazing job, like tip them, you know, yep. pad your cleaning fee a little bit. If you need to pay for cleaning supplies, su- provide supplies for them, tip them every month for good reviews. And like, that's like what's going to make your life a lot easier, especially if you're managing remote, right? Because they're your, they're your eyes on your property. Sure. Yeah. And so what we do is we'll charge the guest about 150 out here. That's the going rate for San Diego. But I believe our cleaners are right around the 80 to 100 mark. So we're buffering basically the time to manage them as well as, you know, the cleaning products if needed and so forth. And and then we have our assistant double check their work after it is done so that we can verify and also give them feedback on the cleaning in general so that, you know, we can catch it before the guests actually get there. It's very important for that because something in those situations, if we don't catch it, then it can be a horrible rating, a cancellation, the money back, like you said. And um, and what's really unique, it, you know, you mentioned, you know, Airbnb's policy and so forth to be able to get their money back in some cases. It, it is getting crazy. We just got hit with one the other day that this guest got really creative. We haven't seen this before, that there was a way that they didn't want to stay anymore. But our cancellation policy is there's no refund within the last five days, I believe, something like that. So therefore, or up to 50%, they wanted the full amount and we weren't willing to do that. So they ended up saying that they were going to stay, but then they really wanted to extend it out. So they asked to change it to extend it out, I guess, a week or two so that they could stay in a couple of weeks. And they started noticing my team started noticing that they would be able to cancel then and get the full refund back then. So really they know what they're doing. They know inc- what they're doing. Incredible yeah. stuff. And I, w- yeah. I was like, wow, this is creative strategies, yeah. but you got to be on the lookout and, and identify when somebody's you know trying to maneuver around here. Talk to me when it comes down to maintenance, how do you guys deal with kind of SOPs or, or anything when it comes down to maintenance? Yeah, it's different in each market. Uh, sure. Like in Nashville, we use a service called MenBnB, and they're pretty good for the most part. And we could submit a ticket on their portal, and then they send. They actually source the the handyman or tech to go out and address the problem. Cool. And then they just invoice us, and there's like a small subscription fee each month for that. On top of it, kind of like as a retainer. In other areas, it's you know more or less we fly by the seat of our pants, or we'll have a dedicated handyman or two for certain things. But as issues arise, we'll just kind of pivot and fix. But now my team handles that. So if like for example, we have a leaky roof right now on one of ours, and it's like going to fix that, put a tarp over it, at least until we can get a roofer out there. So, sure. you know, you just kind of roll with the punches. You know, sometimes it's few and far between. I feel like when it rains, it pours, though. Sometimes you have like one issue, and all of a sudden you have 10 at the same time. Yep. So, like, Airbnb is not always rainbow butterflies and cash flow. Like, sometimes you have some problems, and but you're in hospitality, you know, and if you're yep. self managing, you just kind of have to understand that, hey, yes, I'm going to make a shit ton more money than I would if it was just a long term rental. But I still have to involve myself more than I would if it was a long-term rental. Yeah. Now, have you seen... I want to hear about the horror stories in just a moment, if you have any that you're you're willing to share. What what kind of horror stories? I got so excited thinking about mine. I was like, oh God, we have horror stories, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you got on yours? Yeah. We've had any a couple learning bad, curves. 
that, yeah, that people um, can learn from. Especially during COVID, we were kind of just trying to figure out ways to fill dates. And we noticed we were still getting some in Nashville, but it was like local people. And so we never allow locals to stay at our property anymore, ever. Yes, um, ever. We did a couple of times and even a couple of times people will stay and they say they're not local. And even it says they're not from there online, you know, on their profile, but they end up having like a local party. I've had somebody have like a rooftop DJ and light show on one of my places. And it was like, it wasn't as bad as like it could have been because we caught it early, but there was like probably 10 to 20 extra people on top of the occupancy limit. And we had to kick them out. And, you know, there we've had other times where there's like throw up painted on the walls in the bathroom. It's always seems to be Nashville. And then we've had a couple other bad guests and other properties where guests are just so disrespectful. There's, I just don't know. My wife and I would just never stoop to a point where we cause damage or leave a, a wreck of a place or stain a couch and then just assume that it's part of the cleaning fee or like, yeah. Oh, well it's expensive to stay here. We just thought, you know, you, you should expect that we have kids. And I'm like, the hell you mean you should expect there should be like, like you don't clean up marker. after yourself. Yeah. yeah come on. on. Like a thousand dollar couch. And it's just like, it's just like people like expect to be treated like to Royal family or something. And it doesn't matter what they do. It's just like a, a respect thing. It's like, if I cause damage, I'm just going to reach out and just be apologetic. Be like, honestly, I'm sorry. We had an accident. Yeah. I'm happy to pay for to fix it. Right. Sure. But the amount of times people just try and sweep something un, under the rug, for lack of better terms, is it amazes me every time. Yeah. It's pretty sad, honestly, because they it just shows that they could care less about like what you worked hard for. It is pretty crazy. It is eye opening, to say yeah. the least. And it makes me think about the hotel industry of like, God, what did they go through? You know, (laughs) because this is more of like a home, like this is a person that you're dealing with. It's not so much the corporate type of feel to it. So Mm -hmm. when it comes down to cleanliness in general, have you done the long term rentals at all? Have you have you gone down? I had a long term rental. We long term rented our primary house in Nashville because we couldn't short term rent it when we left for our camper van trip and eventually sold it. But we did long term rent it, but we didn't manage it ourselves. We just had a local PM do it. Okay. In comparison, have you noticed or felt like possibly there's more wear and tear on the short term or or on the long term? You know, probably hard to say. It was, you probably had say. one it's, good. Well, tenant, no, right? honestly, the, <laughs> so we had a realtor go list our property that was a long term rental, and there's yeah. just three normal dudes, like very respectful. Cool. But when someone really lives in your home or an apartment, dude, that can get bad fast and you don't know because you're not checking in on every week honestly our our homes are pretty much for the most part minus a couple times you might have a couple maintenance issues we have to address in the short-term rentals but they almost stay in for sale condition 24 7 because they're professionally cleaned and maintained every week yes yeah the long-term rental he walked in there and this is a week after he came in and asked them to clean up and he said the day of photos it was disgusting there was like food caked on the stove the sink was a mess like the bathrooms were disgusting dirt and hair everywhere and it was just like this is nuts and these are just three normal people imagine if someone was really trashing your place yeah you have to think with a short-term rental people are there visiting probably for vacation more than likely they're not staying at the house that much like they might be but a lot of times they're there to go to the city or go on a hike or go explore yeah explore so they're not using the bathroom as much. They're not using the showers as much. They're not using the kitchen as much. So like a lot of the things that ordinary living take a wear and tear on aren't yes. with short-term rentals. Now, yes, you can have rowdy groups or if you have a larger property, if there's a lot of bodies moving in and out constantly every day, yeah, you can have some other different types of wear and tear. But I will say over the course of a year, 
I guarantee my property is going to be in better condition as a short-term rental than if I have no idea what, what it's going to look like after a year of not being in it from a yes. long-term tenant. That's really good. And that's where I was going with it because you know we have our long-term rentals and we also have a lot of short-term rentals. And what I have come to find is that you know, having the professional cleaner there on a regular basis, having eyes on it to see what type of maintenance does need to be done as we go really helps out things. But I also truly believe that a lot of these people that are staying, just like you said, like we really screen pretty hard on why are you coming in town? You know, like what what are your goals while you're here? And a lot of people are out and about with family, like they're visiting something, whatever, an event and so forth. So they're not really staying at that home too much. And when you're there, you're not like checking out everything. You're not going all over the place. You, you go to bed, you go to the bathroom once or twice, take a shower, you're in the kitchen for a minute, and then you're out, right? A lot of people that after about a week or two of staying at a place, you really start getting comfortable and you start checking out things, you're laying on the floor, you're doing whatever else, you know, God knows. So then it can really start getting a little bit nastier and more wear and tear on the overall property. I'll share a quick horror story with you, I'm sure you'll be able to appreciate this one. And this, hopefully the listeners really focus on this here that we don't allow any local guest to stay as well. We've had a a couple occasions that they had a good story behind it. Like there was an insurance claim on their property that's getting remodeled. They need a week. You know, that makes sense. The home away from home type of approach for a couple, we don't do that anymore. And here's the reason why. We had this one couple stay by nine o'clock, we had cameras outside and we saw that there was seven of them outside. That's not a couple anymore. There's a whole and they have, you know, there's no cigarette smoke or any smoke it's supposed to be on the parcel, the whole property, not just inside or, you know, outside as well. And we noticed that they have bongs outside. They got cigars going, drinking, you know, uh, smoking weed and so forth. And then very quickly, we start realizing after we call them and say, hey, everybody's got to go. You know, we're calling the cops basically. If you guys don't, we show up to the property and there's 40 people inside the home. We're we're kicking them out. It takes a little over an hour. Now they're all outside, but they blasted this stuff on social media. So we have over 250 people come to this little, you know, 700 square foot home, you know, apartment unit. It was crazy. It was a two bedroom, one bath, small unit, and they have 250 plus people showing up all throughout the night and uh it was just crazy so they're all hanging out because it's a friday during covid um, that they are all hanging out on the stoops outside and they start letting off fireworks there's accidents outside Uh, we have six neighbors coming out freaking out calling the cops it was just a hot mess so we learned greatly from that but Mm -hmm. you know make sure to really screen heavily that you're not allowing these parties because it messes up the whole neighborhood. And this was a nice neighborhood. Like they were very pissed off that night. Yeah. To say and that's least. why people have bad taste in their mouth for yes. all Airbnbs. It's like, no, it's really actually the guests. It's people. Yeah. It's not the hosts. Sure. Like hosts are not the problem or investors. It's it's travelers like or not, not travelers. It's people that abuse property. And then they're like, oh, I'm just gonna throw a banger or something or just they're obnoxious. It's like, sure. those are the people that ruin it for everyone. Unfortunately. Have you met any hosts that just didn't give a damn though? They're like, oh, you know, no. throw parties I've, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I've never met a host like that. Okay. It would surprise me. I mean, maybe if it was like, you know, they had pr- like property, like acres type yeah. of thing where they know they're not going to really 
they may not care what the neighbors think. Like in my property, I do what I want. But at yeah. the end of the day, you don't want 100 people at your property destroying it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's just going to incur more costs and headache for you. Sure. So let's switch this over. So I want to talk about the course more. I want to talk about how you were able to develop the course and be able to impact so many people in such a short period of time. You started the course when, 2021? Yeah, it was April of 2021. I had actually started posting a ton of social media content because I had learned so much from following people on YouTube, Instagram and whatnot. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know. I don't even know what occurred. I was like, oh, I might as well try. You know, I didn't know. I didn't expect to make money out of it. Sure. I think initially it was YouTube. Maybe I can make ads revenue on YouTube. That was like uh -huh. my goal. And I was completely wrong mindset. But I was just sharing what I was learning, completely free content, trying to provide value to people, started to slowly get people to reach out. And I was literally taking free coaching calls. Like I was like, just, I'm happy to help. Like this has helped like change my life so positively or such in a positive light that I want to help you too. Um, yeah. And I had a bunch of people like, do you charge for coaching? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, okay. It was almost like they didn't even trust me at that point. It's like, why yeah. don't you charge? And I'm like, I don't know. I just never thought I would charge. I didn't think I was a coach. So after like doing that for several months, people were like, if you had like a program that was just like, show me how to do it from A to Z, I would just pay for it. Like, I don't even care. And I'm like, really? I was like, how much would you pay for it? And they're kind of give me a ballpark. It's like, okay. So I still at that point in time did not understand the high ticket coaching space and the value it can provide to people. Um, and if you provide value, especially in an ROI, type program, right? It's not just fitness where it's like, okay, I get like an internal ROI, I can get fit and healthy, but I can actually make money or 10x, 20x, 100x what I invest in your program. That's where you can make serious money, but you have to provide value first. So sure. built a video only course, no coaching. It was all passive through social media. That did quite well. Started upping the price. I was basically giving it away almost for free when I launched it. It was stupid on my part. How much did you start off with? I think I started off 697. I sold it for Okay. You know, there's other people selling video course only, which I think is overpriced for like 6K. Mine, I eventually upped it to a thousand and I, I still had a, I was selling a ton of them. And then I would get people messaging me saying, Hey, I cash flow 12,000 my first month on my first property. Thank you so yeah. much. And I'm like, yeah, you paid 600 bucks or a thousand bucks. You're cash flowing 12 G's a month. I'm like, yeah, I'm not charging enough because it, it's good, you know, yeah. the material. So then I started charging two and then I started doing coaching for like a year, 10,000, 15,000. Then I was doing coaching for like 20K for six months. And I was like, it's not scalable to one-on-one. -on -one. I liked it to help people directly. I was like, what if I did like a mold? So I ended up building over the past several months, a program where it's like 20 to 30 coaching calls a month. I have like specialist coaches, like tax lending stuff. I'm not going to give away all the secrets of the program, but I'm the lead coach in there. And it's like, crazy value and it's many months long and it's awesome. So it's more expensive today, but also you're getting like 10x the value versus what I used to offer. So it's been a wild ride and very fruitful. It's more scale. A lot of people get butt hurt on social media. If you're so successful at Airbnb, why are you doing a course? And I'm like, like if you were like really successful at selling fruit at a fruit stand and then you had 25, 100 people hitting you up every single day on like, hey, how do you build a fruit stand and make money on fruit? It's like, I got tired of telling people how to do it for free. I might as well charge you for my time, you know, yep. and then help them make money selling fruit too. So like, that's the mentality behind it. And it's far more scalable than acquiring new property, right? Just so. I think a key part behind that too, is that, that I've noticed when you give out a lot of free info, you know, some people will take action on it. They really will. But the majority of people and myself, 100% included, you really need to pay to pay attention. If there's no investment behind it, there's no pain point, And then I'll just put it on the back burner and take your time and my time for granted 
because at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm interested. That sounds cool. I want to get, you know, that type of results. But if it's free, then, you know, I can get it anytime. So when you actually pay for it, you're paying for the time, the experience, the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And instead of taking the stairs approach, you're taking the escalator, right? You're taking the elevator. And therefore, you can get faster results because you have a pain point, you have an exchange into this. So I think that is very crucial to identify and really to get the results. Yeah, for sure. When you see people actually get results, like it's super fulfilling for me, like seeing other people become financially free. Like I've had people reach 50,000 a month net cash flow yes. in 16 months after working with me. And it's just like, damn, that's so cool. And they yeah. both them and their wife or them and their husband quit their jobs. And they're just like, I've seen some people travel full time now. It's like, yep. that's cool. Like it impacted your life that much. Like that's priceless for me. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. I think it feels so freaking good to do it for yourself. But when you see other people skip the line and not have to go through all the headache and stress that you went through and so forth, they're still going to be on their level of stress that might have been similar. But you can look at them like, man, you are just you're going through the process and it's okay. I know I've already been there. I know you're going to be able to go through this and succeed. And I'm right here for you. And yep. then when you see them succeed and the impact that it does for them and their family, it, it is so much more rewarding and fulfilling. So I, I do love that. Talk to me. So when it comes down to investment now to be a part of you guys, what does that look like? So typically the way it works now is a lot of people reach out on social media or they'll you know, we're, we're starting to do some ads to test that, but um, just to see if people are serious, because we only admit 20 to 30% of the people that apply to be in the program, because we want to make sure it's a good fit on both ways. So you actually have to take, submit an application and take a full intro call with one of our enrollment advisors who walks you through everything. We want to understand what your goals are, short-term, long-term, and then make sure you're prepared to start before, because I don't want your money if you're not prepared to actually go invest and make money. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do is somebody to pay and then not take action and be like, oh man, I bought that course. I didn't get anything out of it. Yeah. So they have to take a call or walk through all the fine details to see what that looks like to join. You put, so you make them go through a form and qualification before they get on with a rep. When it comes down to, do you have a sales funnel or how do you yeah. draw yeah, traffic? The, the main You're not traffic running ads, you said? I hadn't until recently. We just started testing this past month and we're going to go really full live with it on YouTube probably in the next two to three weeks. I actually have a meeting with my ads team here after we get off the phone or off the call here. But most of the traffic's been through social media. I think, in my opinion, having a value first or free content-based approach is great because you have to build trust with an audience. And over the past few years, I you know, I have nearly 200,000 followers on Instagram and 920,000 on TikTok and a bunch on, on YouTube. So like having an audience that has followed me and has been really engaged with what I'm doing for multiple years yeah. It kind of builds trust and, and authority in the space. If you're investing a bunch of money into someone's program, you want to make sure they know what the heck they're doing. There's a lot of people out there that do put out courses before they have even had a full year of operating yes. in the business they're in. And it, it's kind of sad because if you're a really good marketer, you probably make a lot of money and hopefully you still help people. But a lot of the times you may they may not be as experienced. So yeah, anyways, they, that's where they, they can really lead. lead them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to make sure you're a good leader, a good coach, yeah. good mentor. You kind of cut your teeth doing it first. So you can say, don't do that, do this, yes. guide them on the right path. Um, so mainly it's social media. A lot through Instagram is more or less like the funnel traffic, right? I do have a VSL video sales letter. I think it's called stands for, it's like an intro video to get someone excited, talk about some testimonials or case studies. And then from there, they, they get qualified into submitting an application and getting on the call with one, someone on my team. 
Cool. So that really comes down to not running ads until this point or, you know, recently and hitting the success levels that you have really comes down to personal branding. It comes down to obviously knowing your stuff, like be excellent at what you do, go through the trial and error so that you can lead and guide people and tell them, yes, no, don't do this, do this over here. Here's my contacts for this. Of course, that's what's going to provide value. But when you have the personal brand on point, when you have the following, the, you know, you've built up so much value to them from give, give, give approach, then they are soaking up, they're getting value from it then they will be reaching out to you proud to pay because they want it all done in a box for them and the guidance and and the community to be able to do it. So the personal brand is huge in this aspect because you haven't even run ads to this point and you blew up in such a way. How many for that first year, how many students were you able to impact? I forget the first 12 months. It must have been 600. I'm just approaching a thousand people that I personally coached one way or another. And that's not including the social media stuff. Those are like paid clients. Um, So I've coached a lot of people and seen a lot of people succeed. It's just so cool to say, I I love it. You know? Yeah. I love it, man. So talk to me, what what does the future look like for you? What are you looking to do with your own rentals, with, with coaching and any other side projects or, or future goals for yourself? Yeah. So I'm involved in several different businesses now, almost unintentionally. I kind of fell into entrepreneurship to some extent, but I own a property management company, Home Team Vacation Rentals. So we're that we've scaled to nearly 100 properties in nine months. So it's pretty crazy to see that growth. So really focused there, and we'll see what that grows into. We may make a couple acquisitions or mergers, and then either we're going to hold that company forever, or eventually we'll sell to the appropriate fit of a property management company that aligns with our goals and visions. So that might be like an exit strategy there, but TBD. And then Summerlet Designs, co-owner in that company, helping those girls scale. They're amazing at what they do. And again, same, same kind of mindset there. We grow it as big as we can. And as long as we're providing value for people, and then it's just really fun to see a business grow. A couple of other endeavors that I'm going to announce here soon. But as far as investing, all I want to do is make money, invest it, and save my time to do what I want to do with my wife and my daughter, future kids. Yeah, um, that's the biggest thing. I love to travel. What I don't want to get caught up in is the trap that I wanted to escape in the first place. It's sure. very easy to do when you start making the kind of money that I've kind of stumbled into the past couple of years. Is you go from like hustling to make it, you know, seven to six figures, whatever, just in your job. Then you escape it. You're financially free. You're like, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I can develop all these businesses and make seven figures, eight figures, whatever it is. Then you find yourself working again 60 hours a week and you're like, what am I doing? I just the whole point I got out of it in the first place. It yeah. is different because you own the company, right? So I'm trying to find that balance. You know, a lot of people I feel like struggle with that because when you find something you actually love, especially if it's a business you created, it doesn't necessarily feel like work, but it you're still busy and you still have to like do stuff. Yeah. So it's what is that balance, right? What is the balance between like doing literally whatever I want or nothing? And then, you know, growing and scaling businesses that's sustainable. So I'm still working on that, but ultimately it's just keep, keep it going for now. It's, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things of like, how do we juggle all these different things, but also put the right people in the right places, the systems in the right places. Like think about Elon Musk, like he's juggling a bunch of things and ideas like crazy. He's the visionary of the business, but he's got excellent people all in the right spaces to be able to handle anything and still have his own time. If, if he'd like, I don't you know? think Elon has time though. But yeah. you make a good point. Like he couldn't do what he does without having 
substantial amounts of people or teams in place yes. for sure. Yeah. And that goes, even if when you first start your own business or a real estate portfolio, like starting to outsource things that are not going to help you grow the business, right? Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to steer the ship, not be the person shoveling coal underneath constantly to make sure the ship's still running. Sure. Right. So can that ship still sail without you necessarily? Yeah. You need to focus on where the business is going. Work on the business, not in the business, as a lot of people say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Elon Musk, man, I don't know how he I would never want his life, but he he's amazing. Like yeah, I, I love the guy. Yeah. No, same. Cool, man. Anything that you would leave with the listeners to be able to take action in Airbnb and real estate in general and really go from that corporate world or, you know, uh, work in the nine to five to actually get in that financial freedom, get out of the rat race. And then afterwards, if you don't mind plugging how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, I will say this has helped me get over the hump. A lot of people, they have this inherent fear of, oh, investing my money. What if I lose it? What if it doesn't work out? What if no one rents my place? What if I lose money? Well, what happens if you don't? Yeah. What if you make what, money? What's, what's, <laughs> yeah. But what, what is the risk truly if you're like, you know what? I'm safe, comfortable. I have a job. Insurance, sure. whatever, you know, that feels all safe. But what is the risk of you seriously not becoming financially free, whether it's the real estate or other? You're going to work till you're 65, 70 years old with yep. hopes that you have enough money to retire. And that's and reality. We, what's the risk mindset there? For me, it was far riskier to risk 40 years of my life doing something I probably didn't like doing with the hopes of like setting into the sunset, setting sail into the sunset through retirement. It's like, no, I want to live life now. now yeah. How can I do that now? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. This investment fails and I just work and I keep doing what I'm doing anyway. Like, you know, yeah. so like the whole mindset of like investing is risky. Like you got to flip that on its head. Like, what do you want out of life? What are you going to regret doing or not doing when you look back 40 years into the past, you know, yeah. when you're 60, 70 years old and don't regret things that seem big today that are not big decisions, to be honest. That's so good. I always say like, what is the absolute worst thing that can happen? You know, and life is short in general, but we're not promised tomorrow. So live life now, figure out how we can do this. And and if you really look at, I mean, what does the future look like for many people out there that are, you know, where they're currently at? If you're already not happy and you got another 40 plus years of doing that, is that really truly what you want? Is that what life's about? I think a little risk and, you know, thinking about the worst case scenario, like that's reality for so many people. So the opportunity is now like take action today to be able to see a difference. And you may be shocked of what could actually transpire from it. Yeah. So how yep. can people get a hold of you? Best way probably to send a message on Instagram. It's at MLafonte6. Um, I usually respond to 100% of DMs if I can. And then, you know, any other info you guys want, like the Academy, just bnbinvestoracademy.com. If you want to learn, learn about it, talk to my team. Would love to hear from you. But yeah, probably social media, Instagram, probably the best one. Cool. Love it. Do you use uh, many chats? What is that? No, many chats. No. Okay. It's uh, just a platform that you can hook up with Instagram to be able to handle the thousands of people that are reaching out. Yeah. Now I do have somebody that helps me manage a lot of my incoming DMs and sure. sort through them, but now I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, I did it on my own for a long time and I felt bad for not getting back to people, but like, I didn't have the bandwidth. So yeah. it's kind of like we got know, a little girl at home too. What are you going to do yeah. now? Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. So out. So like you said earlier, like, the biggest decision I ever made when I transitioned from being a worker to solopreneur investor to an entrepreneur, like that's the hardest leap to make is feeling like, you you know, maybe it's true for some people, like only you could do it the way you want it done. Yeah. But as soon as you let go and let other people manage a lot of the operational stuff, that's yeah. when your shit just takes off. Yes. In 10x, like overnight. It's crazy. And 
The only regret I have is not starting sooner investing in real estate and not starting sooner outsourcing operational tasks so I can actually focus on growth because that's yes. when it'll take off. Everyone's yes. guilty of it. For the yeah, most part. yeah. That's so good. Well, Michael, I appreciate your time, bro. Guys, you definitely want to reach out to Michael. He's a wealth of knowledge and can definitely help you out on that journey. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can always do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments, otherwise facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you're really looking to get educated on credit, we are teaching you how to flip the script on the banks. If you are a business owner, then we can teach you how to get up to $500,000 every six months as 0% interest and travel hacking, business credit, get your personal FICO up to 800 in less than 30 days, fixed credit, you name it, we can help you out with it and totally show you how to flip the script on the banks. Go to creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. We got tons of free content on there and a 10 minute video to be able to really describe more in detail of what we can do for you. And then you can sit down with our team and, and chat more about it. Either myself or, or somebody will be able to guide you. With that being said, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button. You'll get the newest notification every single Monday. Leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate all the love and support you guys have been dropping lately. It means the world to us. And uh, make sure you share this out. Tag a business partner, significant other that needs to see this. And we'll see you on the next episode. Till next time, guys. God bless. Appreciate it, Michael. Thanks, Brandon. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.